0: Let's go ahead and read the text. It's Romans 12:14 to 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, we look to you right now for help and strength and understanding. May your Holy Spirit come and be the teacher in this room. And even as things are being videotaped and streamed on Facebook, Lord, to anybody who would ever hear this message, would your Holy Spirit be working in their hearts enlightening them and giving them the desire and the will to put into practice the things that you're teaching us here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have just finished last time, um, Romans 12, 9 to 13, where we have 13 rapid-fire exhortations, one after the other. And in order to really... Meditate on those exhortations, we slowed way down and took about three of them a week. The ones that seem to hang together. Well, when we come to verses 14 to 21, really what we have are two final issues to this chapter. The issues are how does God want us to love saints and how does God want us to love our enemies? In verse 14, he starts off by saying, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So, bless those who persecute you. These are unbelievers. I say that because when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says in Galatians 4.29, But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. So persecution comes from those who are born according to the flesh. And they persecute those who are born according to the Spirit. That is those who have been born again. John says in 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised, beloved, if the world hates you. So it's the world that hates the church. It's the unbeliever that persecutes, the one born after the flesh that persecutes the one born after the spirit. So when we come to Romans 12 verse 14, I take him to be talking about the persecution that we will face from the Unbelieving world that hates Christians, that hates God, that hates the gospel. But, honestly, you come to the very next verse, and in my understanding, he's no longer talking about unbelievers, but he's talking about the church. He says there, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. I believe he's talking here about fellow saints. Verse 14, non-saints or unbelievers. And then verses 17 to 21, he picks that same theme up again and he talks about how we are to relate and respond to unbelievers. But sandwiched in here, he pulls out two verses and he tells us about things that would really only relate to other Christians. He said, well, why do I think that? Why do I think rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep has to do with other Christians? Why do I think he means be of the same mind toward one another? Well, one another is the ones he's writing to. One another are the saints in Rome. But the thing that really clinches it for me is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26. Because I believe that's a parallel passage to these verses that we're reading in Romans 12. Let's take a look at what Paul says there. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 12:25 and 26. Paul says, "so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it." Now does that sound like something we just read? <laughs> right? Romans 12 says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice." If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Weep with those who weep. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And then the next verse in Romans says that we should have the same mind toward one another. Romans 12, 25 says we should have the same care for one another. I think Paul is talking about the same ideas, just using slightly different language. And he talks here in Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12 about members. He's talking about members of the body of Christ. So that tells me that in Romans 12, verse 15 and 16, Paul is talking to saints and how saints should love each other. But in verses 14 and then 17 to 21, he's talking about how you should relate to and love your enemies. So, dividing it up that way, we're going to talk about... How we are to love saints first, from verse fifteen to sixteen, and then we're going to talk about how we are to love our enemies in the remaining verses. Okay, loving the saints. There are two things in verses fifteen and sixteen that Paul is going to tell us we must do in order to love the church, and that is we are to have sympathy and we are to have humility. And if you have sympathy and humility, you that will go a long ways. Towards you really loving the members of the body of Christ so we are to sympathize with the Saints that word sympathize means that we are to share the same feelings with other people so if someone else is grieving you enter into their grief if someone else is rejoicing you enter into their joy he tells us here rejoice with those who rejoice now that is not as easy as it sounds to obey I think it's actually easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because let's take a few examples. Let's say you and a fellow Christian work at the same company, and your friend over here is so happy because he just got a promotion and a raise, and he comes and shares that with you. Hey, I can't believe my good fortune or God's blessing on me. I'm getting $500 more a month, and I've got this new promotion. Things are looking great. And you're thinking, man, I've, I've been working there for five years. I haven't gotten any raises. I haven't got any promotions. I'm like stuck in this dead-end job. And it's hard to rejoice with your brother because you're thinking about I, yourself. And you're comparing yourself with his blessings. Or let's say someone comes to you and says, hey, I, I met the woman of my dreams. I'm engaged. I'm going to be married next July. And you're thinking, I wish I could be engaged. I'm lonely. I want a wife why hasn't God blessed me? and so you start comparing yourself with all the people around you and it can be a little hard sometimes to rejoice with others. now why would it be hard to rejoice with someone that's rejoicing? let's try to get down to the root of that. well isn't it because of envy? for one, you envy what God is doing for them and you wish it was for you, but that really comes down to something even deeper than that which is like a self-centered perspective. you're thinking about yourself If you weren't thinking about yourself, you'd be able to rejoice. But you're comparing yourself with them and thinking, Lord, why can't you do for me what you're doing for all these other people? So envy and self-centeredness really are at the bottom of this inability to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think the Lord has tested me at times in this regard. Um, In my company, there was a guy who worked for me for a while, who eventually left and bought another business. We're in the same... We do the same thing, window cleaning, gutter cleaning, pressure washing, and our companies are about almost exactly the same size, and we'll touch bases with each other. We'll text, we'll say, how's your week going? And we'll share what the revenue is coming in. And there have been times when we were doing really lousy, and he was doing really great, and I found myself thinking, I'm not really rejoicing with him right now. (laughs) I should be, but I wasn't, because I was thinking about myself. And I was comparing how well or how bad we were doing with his blessings. I I, I also thought about this in relationship to when we first started the bridge in 2011. And I thought we were just gonna explode in growth and we were gonna grow like crazy. Well, here we are. What is it? Eight years, nine years later? We have 25, 30, 35 people. (laughs) the Lord just didn't do what I expected him to do but other churches that started back then they, God has just blessed them with tremendous growth and conversions and baptisms so then I think about that and it can make you feel bad, disappointed like what's, what's wrong Lord is it me am I the one that's stopping this so we have to see if I just looked at what the Lord had done for them I should be ecstatic Because the kingdom's being built. The only reason I'm not is because I'm comparing what the Lord's did did there with what he hasn't done here. And that's wrong. So we need to get out of ourselves. We need to die to self so that we can really rejoice with the people that are rejoicing and also weep with those who are weeping. Yeah. The bridges of blessing? blessing? Well, praise the Lord. Praise God. I think so too. I totally do. And I, I love you guys, man. I can't, I can't imagine being a part of any other church. That's just the truth, honest truth. Um, I came across this story. Any of you guys baseball, uh, baseball fans? Anybody? All right. So uh, do you know the name Lou Brock? Um, most at, uh, Yes, yes, that's my point. So when he retired, I think it was 1978, I might be wrong on that date, but anyway, when he retired, he had all, the most stolen bases of any professional baseball player in history, 938 of them. But as soon as he retired, there was this young upstart, Ricky Henderson, and he kept stealing base after base after base, and pretty soon it became evident that he was gonna break Lou Brock's record. And so a few weeks before he actually broke his record, someone was interviewing Lou Brock, and this is what he says, I'll be there, do you think I'm gonna miss it now? Ricky did in 12 years what it took me 19 years to do. He's amazing. I thought, what a great illustration of someone who's able to rejoice with someone else who's rejoicing, rather than to be sad and disappointed and upset about it. And I don't even know if Lou Brock was a Christian, but he's a good illustration of this point we're talking about today. Now, we're not only... To, to rejoice with those who rejoice, but he says here in Romans 12, we're to weep with those who weep. So, God is calling us to enter into the pain of others in the body of Christ. Not to stand aloof from them, but to feel their pain and weep with them. Weep with those who weep. Now, isn't it interesting that he doesn't tell us to counsel those who weep? Or to preach to those who weep, but to weep with those who weep. I find that interesting. Like Job, Job had three counselors, right? But those guys really didn't do him a whole lot of good when they started trying to counsel him and tell him why he was, you know, why he had all these problems and why his family had died and why he had boils all over. And it really didn't help him. I I remember what took place on a Sunday morning. In August, it was August 8th of 2004, and I think this is a good example. I'm gonna share this story because I think it's a good example of this. Uh, we were getting ready to go to church. We met in a house church. We rotated from house to house back then, and it was about nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. We were getting ready, you know, dressed up, getting our, my guitar, getting our food, ready to head out the door to go to someone else's house to have church, and there was a knock on the door, and it was a chaplain. He came in and said, I need to talk all of you here in the home. Please sit down. I've got something important to talk to you about. And he said, your son died last night. And you know, we we couldn't believe it at first. It just seemed unbelievable. It was hard to actually come to grips with that reality. But we, we phoned someone from church and said, hey, we're not going, we can't go. Josiah died last night. And so they canceled church and all of them came over to our house and just camped out there. And they really didn't do much, to be honest with you. They were pretty much quiet. I mean, there was some prayer, but there wasn't discussion, there wasn't idle, chattered. They were just kind of, I don't know, they were just like entering into our grief. And for several hours, they just kind of sat there. <laughs> but it was comforting to have someone there to be, to be like our strength in that time. And I thought that's a great example of someone who just came alongside and, and wept with us when we were weeping. Yeah, sure. Um, the next day, uh, uh, a lady whose family lived just right down the street from us, she, um, they had moved to Idaho, and when she heard about Josiah, she flew, flew in. And she knocked on the door, and when I opened the door, she just walked in, and put her arms around me and just cried and cried and cried. And all she could say was, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'll never forget that. That yeah. was so much more comforting to me than, I mean, other people were comforting, but it was just like, oh, I, I didn't feel so isolated. She, now, she she literally wept with those who wept. Yeah. Yeah, good old Sally Manuel. Mm-hmm. for folks that are watching. <laughs> She's a saint of the Lord. Those are good. That's one of the worst pains in Oh, I know. Many times yes. people know what to do. They just don't want to feel like they're alone. And then they yeah. don't feel like they're alone and they solve
1: their own
0: problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone has once said, uh, they said, a, a sorrow shared is but half a trouble. A joy shared is a joy made double. And there's a lot of truth in that. A sorrow shared is but half a trouble, because someone's bearing that with you. A joy shared is a joy made double. Isn't that cool? It's you're twice as enjoyable when you get to share that with somebody else, and they can share it back with you. There's a story about a little boy, and there was an elderly man that lived right next door to him, and he lost his wife and death. And so, when the little boy found out, he was friends with this old man who lived next door. So when he found out, he went over to the man and he climbed up into his lap. And he just sat there. And later, his mom asked him what he said to the man. And he said, Nothing. I just helped him cry. Aww. And that's exactly what he needed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is but half a trouble. And a joy shared is a joy made double. Yeah. So God is calling us to enter into the joys and the sorrows of others in the body of Christ. So this is the opposite of holding yourself aloof and saying, I don't want to get involved in other people's life. I, no, we, the church is a family, literally a spiritual family and families get involved with each other. Families help each other. Families are there for each other when they need each other. Um, I thank God that we, we have a church that does that. And if any, any of us were to have a, a great tragedy in our life, I know that the rest of us are going to be there. We're going to link arms with you. We're not going to let you go through this alone. God has called us to that. So that's the first thing Paul is telling us here in Romans 12. Sympathize with the saints. and I can bow for that, because my away. I'm walking in, and who do I see sitting in the front row? Oh. Mm. Amen. Yeah. So, and then the second thing he says is to humble yourself before the saints here. And I get that from verse 16, where he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty. Haughty is to be like a proud, arrogant person. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. So what does it mean to be of the same mind toward one another? I've already kind of alluded to it. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says that we should have the same care for one another. Well, what does he mean, have the same care for one another? I think if you read all of verse 16, it becomes clear. I think he's saying, have the same care for the lowly that you do have for the high. Have the same care for everybody, no matter what station of life they're in, what their economic status is, what their race or nationality is, what their education status is. Whoever they are, we are to have the same care for all the people in the body of Christ. We are not to have cliques in the church or a caste system where you've got these people over here you know the doctors and the lawyers and the judges the very important people and the senators they're part of the church but they only hang out together and then you've got the people over here that are one step away from being homeless and work for minimum wage at McDonald's or don't work at all and they're in a whole different kind of a clique and these people over here never associate with the people over here and then you've got the blacks and the whites and the Hispanics and the Vietnamese and the Koreans and they all stick to themselves that's the opposite of what he's telling us here that we in the body of Christ are to have the same care for all of God's people in the church no matter who they are. Because everyone is of equal value in the eyes of God. Every person, I I don't even care if they're lost, they're made in the image of God. And if they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and indwelt by the Spirit of God, they have the same value. I I get that from Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. Listen to what Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. So. Your gender. Doesn't distinguish you. Doesn't make you superior or inferior. To somebody else in the eyes of God. You have the same spiritual blessings and benefits. That accrue to you through Christ. So gender does not. Provide some kind of a caste system in the church. Neither does slave or free. In the early church there were slaves and there were free people. But Paul is saying they're on an equal standing. In fact you could have the slave. The slave could be one of the elders of the church. Because it doesn't matter. The slave has the same access to God and the same spiritual privileges that the free man does. And today it would be the wealthy and the poor. They have the same spiritual standing before God. And he says here Jew or Greek, those are nationalities. Folks, race has no differentiation in the body of Christ. God wants all people to come together and to love each other just as much as they would love anybody else. Now the the thing that happens to us, I think, is that we tend to want to gravitate towards people who are like us. That we can understand them because we share a same background and a similar culture, right? I, I do. I, it's, it's more comfortable because you, you understand each other right off the bat. It's harder to enter into a relationship with someone that you don't really get their background. And Jerome and I have talked a lot about this because we share different backgrounds, but we're friends in the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. And God wants all of us to love. All the rest, and not to ignore or neglect someone because we can't really relate to them very well. It's all the more reason to pour extra effort into that relationship. I really think that's what Paul is getting at here. The same care for one another. Have the same mind. And he goes on and he fills this thought out by saying things like, Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Let's say you make $100,000 a year and someone else makes nothing. Well, don't be haughty, thinking you're somehow better than they are. No, associate with all of God's people freely, and don't have this proud, arrogant spirit. Have a humble spirit within the body. That's what he's getting at. Don't be wise in your own estimation. In Acts chapter 6, there was a potential problem that could have brought division to the church. There were Jews in Jerusalem, but there were Hellenistic Jews, and there were native Hebrews. A Hellenistic Jew was a Jew who was of the Diaspora. That means they didn't live in Palestine. They lived in other places of the empire. And so they spoke Greek. And they were conversant in the culture of the Greeks. But then you have native Hebrews. And the native Hebrews spoke Aramaic. And they could understand Hebrew when it was read from their scriptures in the synagogue. So you have these two different kinds of Jewish people. And what was taking place is that these Greek-speaking Jews were being overlooked, the widows were, in the daily distribution of food. And they could have said, I wonder if they're doing that, I wonder if this is purposeful. I wonder if those widows are being overlooked, or if I'm being overlooked, because I, I don't speak Aramaic, and I'm not a native Hebrew, and I wonder if they think that they're better than me. You see, there was, there was a potential problem there within the early church. The apostles recognized that, and they dealt with it swiftly by appointing seven men to serve them and make sure that everyone had the same care, just like he tells us here, have the same care for one another. So we need to be careful that we give the same love and consideration and respect and dignity to all of us. God's people Don't be wise in your own estimation. Leon Morris, in his commentary, says, "The person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people." So he might be wise in his own eyes. Nobody else thinks he is. <laughs> Proverbs 26:12 says, "Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't have this puffed up, exalted view of yourself. It's probably a very very faulty view anyway. So Paul is calling not only for sympathy, but also for humility in the body. Don't think that you're better than others. That's the idea. We're all God's people. We're all in the same playing field. The cross is the great leveler of all mankind. We're all sinners saved by God's undeserved sovereign grace. We have no right to the kingdom. He's brought us in. His unmerited mercy has been given to all. Nobody is any better than somebody else. Yes, there are different gifts. That's true. But that doesn't make one person better than another. We need to treat all of God's people with the same respect and love consideration. So that's how we are to love the saints. Let's talk about loving our enemies. And we get that from verse 14 and then 17 to 21. Now, how are these people described in these verses? Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. That's the first thing we learn about them. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil. The second thing we learn about them is they do evil to you. And then in verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry. So the third thing we learn about these people he's talking about is they're our enemy. They persecute you, they do evil to you, and they're your enemy. That's who he has in mind in these verses. So I would understand these to be unregenerate, lost people that are persecuting and doing evil to you. Um, And there are many different phrases within this section of scripture that tells us that, that God is causing, calling us to refuse to retaliate against our enemies. I think the desire to get even is one of those th- things that we it's kind of inside of us because of our fallen human nature. If someone does something dirty to you, you wanna get them back. And I think it's the basic motivation behind street gangs, right? If, if somebody from one gang comes and slits somebody's tire, well then the guy from the other gang, they're going to go steal his car. Or if somebody from one gang breaks somebody's arm, well they're going to shoot him. They're going to get him back and they're going to even do it worse than what they got it. Um, but Jesus had a lot to say about revenge and retaliation. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 27, This is what Jesus says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. That's what Jesus has to say about people that mistreat you and curse you and do evil to you. You're not to take revenge. You're not to retaliate. You're to actually do good to them. And that's what Paul is telling us here. When I read Romans 12, it's almost like I'm reading Jesus' words from Luke 6, 27 to 29. I'm just going to read some of the statements that Paul gives us here in Romans 12. Verse 14, he says, Bless and do not curse. If they curse you, do not curse them in return. Or verse 17, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So how often is it okay for us to pay back evil for evil? Never! Never! Never. For the Christian it's never okay. Okay verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Well if you're taking revenge for what they did to you, you're never going to be at peace with anybody. So, implied in verse 18 is the idea that you're not going to retaliate against those who have harmed you. Verse 19, Never take your own revenge beloved believe room for the wrath of God or verse 21 do not be overcome by evil so if you take revenge you're being overcome by evil so over and over again Paul says the same thing in in various ways to get the point driven home to our hearts and minds never take revenge do do not retaliate against those that persecute you and harm you so this is what the world does The world does take revenge. It's very common in the world to take revenge. But we are not of the world. We're followers of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus respond when people persecuted him and did evil to him? With those who slapped him, plucked out his beard, spat upon him, beat him, scourged him, put the crown of thorns on his head, and then nailed him to a cross. He just loved him, didn't he? He said, I could. If I wanted to, I could call... 12 legions of angels. Now a legion with 6,000 troops. That's 72,000 angels. He could have called in an instant to destroy the people that were harming him. But he refused to do so. And when Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what he says about how Jesus responded. This is 1 Peter 2.23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So that's the example of our savior. And that's the example we are called to follow. So brothers and sisters if somebody insults you. Don't insult them back. If you get fired from your job because you refuse to lie. Don't go ahead and sue your company. If you refuse to go to a same sex marriage. And you're called unloving and judgmental and intolerant because you won't go, well, don't hurl accusations back at them. If you believe the police are doing evil to you or to your race, this gets close to home, don't go burn down their police station yeah. as an act of revenge. Don't riot and steal and plunder because of what somebody, you feel like somebody's done to you. The Bible calls us to non-retaliation. Now, there are ways that we can change government policy but revenge is not one of them and violence is not one of them i really think martin luther king jr had the right idea that it was peaceful change that he sought to do and that's the only way that we can go about establishing change within our country not through violence not through harming people not through stealing and committing crimes so that's the first thing that he tells us here in romans 12. Um, he says refuse to retaliate against your enemy that's hard Because sometimes you just want, you just feel it's unjust what they did. But that's what we're called to do. The second thing is even harder. Determine to do good to your enemies. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm not going to strike back. It's a whole other thing to say, okay, I'm going to figure out a way that I can do good to that person that's hurting me. And that's what he's telling them to do in Romans 12. Look at what he says in these verses. Look at verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. He doesn't say, walk away from those who persecute you. He says, bless them. Do something to bless them. Or verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Or verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's actively doing something good for your enemy. Now this is when the supernatural power of God is seen in the life of a Christian. Because the world isn't going to do this. Only those that have the indwelling Holy Spirit are going to have the power to do this. Because it's supernatural. Jesus said, even the Gentiles, even tax collectors do good to those who do good to them. But to do good to those who hate you and persecute you and do evil against you that you have to be a follower of Jesus and dwelt by Christ and dwelt by the spirit for that so here's the point we're to go out of our way to be kind and to do good to the one who's done us wrong wow we are to be different from the rest of the world in this regard we're to love those who do us harm and this is what Jesus taught as well. Paul isn't teaching anything new here. He's getting his teaching from the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So here's the point. There's evil people in the world. There's unrighteous people that are enemies of God. But God treats them kindly by sending them rain and sending them sun. So they have crops and they have food to eat. He says you need to be like your father. Sons of your father. Be like him where you do good to those that are your enemies. Now what do you think Paul meant here when he said. By feeding your enemy when he's hungry or giving him to drink when he's thirsty you're gonna keep burning coals on his head. Interesting expression. I think he probably means something like this. By this unexpected and undeserved kindness your enemy's conscience will burn with shame and remorse for how they have treated you. So you do good to them because the Holy Spirit can use that in that person's life. Do the unthinkable. Do what your enemy will never anticipate reach out to him and do good to him. I want to share a story with you, a true story. This happened in the 1500s in the Netherlands. There was a man by the name of Dirk Williams. He was converted to Christ. At that time the state religion was the Roman Catholic religion. And we didn't, they didn't have freedom religion like we did today. You couldn't just decide you were to get baptized and join another group. But this man was truly converted, and he was baptized outside of the Roman Catholic Church. And several others in his family also were converted and baptized. And when the Roman Catholic Church found out about that, they had him arrested and imprisoned. Well, he tried to escape. He found some rags, he tied them together, he made a rope, and he let himself down through a window. And he was running, and he was running out on this frozen moat. And one of the guards saw him and started to run after him. Well, Dirk Williams was really light because he had been living on prison rations for a long time. So he, he didn't fall through the ice, but his, the guard chasing him did. And he, he fell through the ice and he started screaming for help because he knew he was going to die unless somebody saved him. And Dirk Williams turned around and went back, saved the man who was trying to arrest him again and put him back in prison. And because he went back there to save this man's life, he was recaptured. And on May 16th, 1569, he was burned at the stake. He could have escaped and he could have had his life back. But he decided that he was going to do good to his enemy and save his life. And he lost his own life in the process. That guy's a hero. That guy's a hero of the faith. He put into practice what Jesus said. I don't know if that's true or not. It didn't come up in the story I read, so I'm not sure. But that would be cool if he did. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he could save the and run. <laughs> 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 By the time he got him on shore, there was another guard that was right there. <laughs> so, I was trying to think, okay, yes. The, when we talk about enemies, I believe Paul had in mind unbelievers, but I think you could even make application of this principle to enemies in your home or enemies in the church. So let's try to do that. Let's think that through. (laughs) Enemies in the home. Um, Sometimes, brothers and sisters, if you're married, you will have disagreements and difficulties with your spouse. And your spouse may say or do things that hurt you, or embarrass you in front of others? And what are we to do in that situation? We are not to return insult for insult. We are to give a blessing instead. That's what Peter says. Instead of responding and reacting in anger to what is happening, we are to maintain self-discipline and we are to return love for harm. Um. So we should look beyond the irritation to the need. I learned that from somebody on the radio once. He said, when someone someone is angry at you, look beyond the irritation to the need. They're, They're that way because there's something in their life and see what you can do to bless them and meet a need in their life. So we need to react to anger with kindness. What about enemies in the church? Now we think, well, oh, that'll never happen. You'll never have an enemy in the church. Well, sadly, that's not always true. <laughs> Sometimes in the church, another person may divulge a confidence about you, or they may gossip about you, or they might hold themselves aloof from you or slight you in some way. And so it's natural to just want to avoid them. Just I don't want to be around them. Or it's also natural to tell other people how this person is treating you badly. And that's not helpful either. That just sows the seeds of division. If we do that, we're going to be overcome by evil. We need to look for an opportunity to bless. And that word bless is the same word for eulogize. You know, a eulogy at a funeral is you speak well of the person who has departed. We are to bless those who curse us. So look for an opportunity to speak well of your enemy. Now that's, that's kind of radical, but is there something that you can speak well of them about? And not only that, look for an opportunity to meet a need, because he talks about feeding and giving drink to your enemy. What are their basic needs that they have need of? Are, are they poor and their car's broken down and they can't get it fixed? Well, maybe you should go help them get their car fixed. Are, are they poor and can't make their rent? Maybe you should go help them pay their rent, and that's gonna blow their minds Here they are actively doing harm to you, but you are doing good back to them. And you know what? You are going to overcome evil with good because you're going to turn an enemy into a friend if you will supernaturally by the Spirit go and give kindness and grace to the person who's trying to hurt you. That's the Holy Spirit working. So, church family, we need to relate to one another with sympathy and humility and relate to our enemies by refusing to retaliate but deciding, purposing to do them good. And this is the way we as a a church, as Christians, can glorify God. This is how we can love saints and love enemies. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this difficult word. Lord, your word is not always easy. In fact, it's rarely easy and this this is downright impossible if we lean to our flesh to obey these commands. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to manifest the Spirit of Jesus towards others. May we stand out like shining lights in a dark generation because we're different from the rest of the world and how we relate to saints and sinners. So Lord, grant us the ability to obey what you have called us to.